Um, I know Dan's welcoming you. There's a couple things that I want to bring attention to, though. Uh, the Overflow newsletter, our first newsletter. This is uh, for the capital campaign that's coming up. When I first opened up, I'm looking, I'm going, oh boy, movie theater. I'll never forget that first sermon. I had those suitcases. And, um, and I remember one of our first children's sermon over at the other school. We had like three or four kids, <laughs> and uh, not like 30 or 40 kids. And uh, I remember they ran around the gym one time for one of the children's sermons. And boy, this is like, you know, old school coming back. Less gray hair. It looked pretty good back then. Um, and as you look through this, I don't think it can be spelled out any clearer right now as far as mission and purpose and plan. So I want to encourage you, on the tables you walk by, there should be one with your name on it. And if you didn't find one with your name on it, then there's one without a name on it. Grab that one. Either way, make sure you grab one. Uh, just do me a favor. Don't read it during the sermon because then you hurt my feelings, okay? But that's out there for you. Make sure you grab that. And something else I wanted to bring to your attention that's sitting over there for you, another resource. Mark Cahill, when he was here, um, left some resources with us. And so um, he said, hey, go ahead. And as people want them, they can go ahead and donate and that kind of thing. And uh, so what we did was we took the donations that came in. And then we decided we're just going to go ahead and make a donation ourselves on behalf of the church so that the two boxes of books that are over there are basically paid for. If you feel still guilty about taking one, just throw something in the blessing box, but we've already taken care of it. The deal is, there's two boxes of books over there still, the one thing you can't do in heaven in paradise. So I want to make sure those resources are still available to you, because we had somebody this morning, uh, Betty, say, you know, she passes those books out. So she grabbed a couple more, and we wanted to make sure that everybody else knows they're there for you. Uh, so make sure you grab these resources. Um, we took a couple boxes uh, with us over to uh, Michaela's funeral and set them there because, again, we want everybody to know, hey, this is good stuff. You need to know about eternity. You need to know that God loves you and wants you with him in heaven for eternity. And so those books do a great job in helping uh, people read those. <clears throat> and it was just two weeks ago, um, Coach Les Steckel was here. I wanted to share this story with you, too, because I thought it was really cool. Um, that morning... I went over to, my, to drive over to Mount Pillar to pick him up. And when I drove over to Mount Pillar, I stopped and, uh, out here at Walmart uh, to gas up. I was sort of frustrated. I always gas up my vehicle the night before when I know I've got to drive somewhere in the morning so I don't have to get up and mess with gassing up. And I forgot to gas up. So Sunday morning, I stopped to gas up. And then I forgot a couple water bottles because I knew I wanted one. I knew Coach would want one. And I forgot to grab them out of the fridge. So then I figured I'm going to have to buy a couple water bottles. You know how ridiculous that is because you could buy a whole case for the same price as two water bottles and so I'm outside gassing up Walmart and I was like I don't want to spend 222 for two bottles of water I just don't want to do it and then I kept thinking oh, I need to make sure I got a bottle of water for him and myself and all right so I went in that little cubby hole booth out there that gas station and I'm just in there looking at him thinking 89 cents two for 222 the guy behind me at the counter says you ought to do the two for 222 because actually it's going to be three dollars uh, and you're going to get 10 cents off you'll get three water bottles and you'll get 10 cents off for every gallon of gas with the code and I'm sitting there thinking don't bother me I'm trying to figure out the cheapest way to go here and because um, so focused on this I'm so frustrated and finally I went with what he said because then it's like well I don't want to disappoint him uh, so I picked up my two uh, three water bottles, went over to pay for him. And then he looked at me, and I was wearing my FCA shirt that morning, and he goes, oh, hey, you know, we sponsor teams 
uh, ball teams and stuff uh, here at um, the, the Murphy USA. And uh, all you got to do is just go online and fill it out, and you'll probably get a, a check for a couple hundred dollars for your ball team. Like, really? Thank you. Maybe I should buy more water. And, uh, and so he gave me his card and his name, and then I thought, hey, you know what? You were very kind and helped me, and again, I didn't want to miss the opportunity. He's like, now can I give you something to read? He goes, yeah, absolutely. So I went out to my car, grabbed one of the books, came back in, and I said, I don't know how much you like to read, and did one of those Mark Cahill things to start the conversation. Hey, you know what? You really helped me. I'm going to help you out. Because eternity really matters. And so we had a short little conversation Sunday morning, and I gave him the book, and just thought, again, church, we don't want to miss our opportunities, right? I'm going to tell you, for the past 46 years, I didn't do that. I thought, well, I've got to know this person, and I've got to do, you know, there are certain steps. And it's just so simple. God just brings it to you. So I'm just telling you, you know, it's been a while uh, because, you know, I think that one Sunday morning we shared testimonies, and people are like, I missed my opportunity. I missed my opportunity. And we learned a month ago that what? Today is a new day. Man, you still remember. Good for you. Okay, today's a new day. So, again, we've got the resources. Be bold. Get out there. Share Jesus with everybody. Amen? Amen. You're dismissed. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, grab your Bibles and uh, turn to the book of <clears throat> Mark. The book of Mark. Some of you got really excited. You're like, yes. Wow, miracles do, still do happen. Okay. Mark chapter 11. You know, we're in a series. I got balloons falling out of my Bible here. Um. Remember last week at the baptismal, we had those kids flying around with the balloons, and I said, I told the kids, I said, I still had a couple balloons. I told the neighbor boys, I said, you guys never did come back to me. So there you go, there's your balloons. Um, they're just sort of falling out. Trevor's looking like, oh, what about me? There you go. Sorry, Sarah. I didn't mean to nail you with that balloon. Um, D90X, sort of like P90X, only D90X, because it's Discipleship 90X. 90 days of being discipled. We are two-thirds of the way through, not if you're counting, but if you are, we are two-thirds of the way through, 60 days about now. And our goal is to be like Christ, to be transformed and holy. Romans 12, 2 says what? Anybody remember that? Don't copy the behavior or customs of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we want to be remade. We want to be renewed. We want to be new in Christ. And uh, so 80 days, it's just a focus point. There's nothing magical about it. There's nothing crazy about it. Um, it's, not, it's just sort of like a measuring stick, uh, maybe help us understand our journey that we're on. And uh, it's like any workout system, anybody that's ever gone through rehab, um, there's a few ground rules that we said 60 days ago. We said this, you must commit, okay? It's not a program, it's not a piece of equipment. It, it's, a, it's sort of a journey. It's a daily choice to walk in the same direction that Jesus walked. And I said, you've got to make that commitment. Okay. Second thing is, we said you got to prepare. Before you start each day, before you read, before you pray, you have to ready your heart. If you're a runner, you're going to stretch before you run because you don't want to pull a muscle, right? In the winter, when it gets cold, you're going to start up your car and you might let it run for a little bit before you take off. One, you want to be in a warm vehicle. Two, you don't want to just pop in a car and just go, right? There are certain things that you do to prepare for your journey. The third thing we said is this, you've got to pay a price to live for Christ. 
you have to give up time. You have to give up money. You have to give up maybe going to a kid's event. You have to give up certain things, part of the sacrifice of paying that price. You need to be selfless. Let me hear you say selfless. It's part of the deal. Okay. The fourth thing I said is you need to be patient. It's a growing process. When the farmers plant their crops in the spring, they know they're going to go through a whole season of summer of waiting and waiting towards the end of summer, beginning of fall. Then comes harvest. In our journey, spiritually speaking, it's the same way. Last thing I said is we've got to get tough because this isn't easy. Jesus said it wasn't going to be easy. He said when trials come, not if, but when. So we have to remember that God gave us his spirit to live within us to help us on this journey. So do not give up on the journey. So I hope and I pray that you have been enjoying this sort of journey here of discipleship, the 60 days that we are so far. I hope it's been a challenge for you. I hope and pray that you've taken it somewhat serious, that it isn't just one of those things like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. What's my disciple partner's name again? I hope you're still connecting with your disciple partner, shooting them a text, an email, a phone call, whatever it may be, some kind of connection at least once during the week to just remember to throw that out there. Hey, pray for me. I'm praying for you. Just something to make a connection. Uh, because, again, this is a journey we can't do alone. And it's going to be a tough journey. Okay? When Jesus called his first disciples, he said, follow me. And to these disciples, that meant abandon everything. Okay? Let me repeat that. Abandon everything. Because this world seems so different in promoting that, doesn't it? The world we live in says what? Protect yourself. Preserve yourself. Entertain yourself. Comfort yourself. Take care of yourself. It's all about yourself. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, it's abandon yourself. So contrary to this world. Let me tell you what happened to the first people who followed Jesus, okay? Because sometimes, again, we think following Jesus is, is all like ponies and roses and rainbows or something. I don't know. It's, it's all good and everything good happens to me. It's the, um, oh, what is it? The blessed and the receive all these good things from God type religion. These are the first disciples and followers of Christ. Some of them, this is what happened to him. Matthew was beheaded with a sword. Mark died in Alexandria after being dragged to the streets of the city. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. John died a natural death, although they did try to unsuccessfully boil him in oil. Okay? Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the Less was thrown, into, thrown from a height and then beaten with clubs. Philip was hanged. Bartholomew was whipped and beaten until death. Andrew was crucified, preached at the top of his voice to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through with a spear. Jude was killed with arrows of an executioner. Uh, Matthias was stoned and beheaded, as was Barnabas. And then Paul was beheaded in Rome. Woo! Oh, to be a follower of Jesus. Huh? It's tough to be a follower of Jesus. And today, I'm telling you, we, we say, well, if I want to be a follower of Jesus, I might have to give up something. You think? Yeah. They gave up their lives. And today we're saying, can you give up five minutes to do this? Yeah, I don't know. Do we really know the cost of being a disciple? Becoming a believer in Jesus Christ is more than a prayer. It's more than acknowledging the truth. 
We know in Romans 12, 9, it says what? But to those who confess with their hearts, or confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts, they are saved, right? It's really simple. Confess with your tongue, believe in your heart, you're saved. Oh, okay, well, that's Scripture. So all i got to do is just believe that, right? There's more than that. James 2 says this. James 2, verses 14 to 17. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it with your actions? Can your faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds and is dead and useless. See, there's an acknowledging of what's going on in your life. I need to repent. I've made mistakes. I acknowledge that. So I go to God who is holy, who is without sin, and I acknowledge to holy God my sin. I blew it. Forgive me. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross to take the penalty that I should have taken. So thank you, God, for sending Jesus. I place my faith in him. I surrender to you. And sometimes we pray that prayer and then we say, okay, that's it, right? That's just the beginning. From there then, the faith that we have placed in our Savior, we now walk out with our Savior. A changed heart should translate to a changed life. If you prayed that prayer when you're in youth group, you know, and I look at the back row, all these teens, which is awesome. You know, I sit there and think, you pray that prayer when you're a teen, you pray that prayer when you're a little kid, and then you're like, I prayed the prayer, I'm done, right? No, there's more now. We live out our faith. There's an old uh, Scotsman. He had this uh, rowboat. They would help people transport across this lake. And this gentleman and his wife came, and they went to the, this uh, old Scotsman, and they said, you take people across the lake, right? Yeah, well, could you take us across? Yeah, absolutely. Hop on in my rowboat. And as the man and his wife got in the rowboat, they noticed that one oar had carved in the side of it faith. And the other oar had to carved inside of it works. And the gentleman looked at both of the oars and said, I see it says faith and works. What, what's that all about? The old Scotsman said, well, watch. And he got in this rowboat, and he took the one with faith, and he just started rowing with one arm, the faith. And the boat just went in a circle. And they said, put that oar back in, grab the other oar, and it said works. And he started paddling with that one oar. And the boat went the other direction, just in a circle. They said, this is sort of the way it is. See, if I just live with my faith, I really don't go anywhere in my life. It's a good thing I move, but I'm not really moving in the right direction. And if I'm just with my works only, I'm doing something good. I'm moving, but I'm not moving in the right direction. But when I put my faith and my works together, and he put both oars in the water, and he started to paddle, and they started to move across the lake. That's when I go somewhere. That's when I move in the right direction. Faith and works go together. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's good for us to know that. Now, I ask for you to turn to the book of Mark. You're all there now, right? I gave you about five minutes to get there. Mark chapter 11. Let's look at this together. <clears throat> The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And he noticed a fig tree in a full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. 
You know, as, as I started to read this scripture, this was part of the chapter we're supposed to read this week. And I was reading this, and I thought, of all the things the writers of the Bible could have recorded, they put this in the Bible. Do you ever think about that? I mean, I'm sure the disciples ate together and had times of uh, fellowship together. And I'm sure there was probably some pretty incredible miracles that Jesus performed that would not go in the Bible. Remember the story when Jesus spit into the ground and spit in the mud, and they took the mud and rubbed it in the blind man's eyes so he could see? That's a cool story, right? Okay, for those of you, I guess, that aren't into saliva, maybe it's not, but I thought it was sort of, that, when do you hear people doing that, right? But then you have Jesus come along, look at a fig tree, no fruit on it, and he curses it. May no fruit ever come from you again. Why put that in there? I want you to think about this. You know, verse 13 says, He noticed a fig tree, full leaf, a little way off, went over to find some figs. Now, I want, essentially, this, this tree was a picture of basically false advertising. Okay, let me hear you say false advertising. Because that's what it was. Full leaf, having leaves, no figs. Now, ordinarily, this is not the case with fig trees, which normally do not have leaves without also having figs. If it has leaves, it's going to have figs. This had leaves, no figs. And it wasn't that the tree didn't have figs because it wasn't supposed to. But the fact that it had leaves and no figs, that's the problem. There should have been figs there if there's going to be leaves there. And there's a lot of trees with just leaves. They weren't cursed, okay? And there's trees out there that had neither leaves or fruit. They weren't cursed. But this tree was cursed because it professed to have fruit but didn't have any. Does it make sense now why Jesus got a little upset? You know, there's a shoe company you all have heard of. It's called Skechers. And just this past July, they had to pay off some money. I don't know if you heard about this, but they basically had uh, did some false advertising, just like this tree. They promised that these athletic shoes that people would purchase would uh, tone the rest of the body. And uh, the Federal Trade Commission mailed out 509,175 checks uh, to people who purchased these uh, shape-up shoes that were supposed to tone uh, up your body. So basically they settled for a $40 million settlement. So the Federal Trade Commission said the Skechers was paying the price for having deceptively advertised its toning shoes, including making unfounded claims that its shape-up shoes would help people lose weight, strengthen and tone their legs and ab muscles. Ouch. False advertising costs Skechers huge amount of money, right? False advertising led to a punishment for them. What about your life? You ever been duped into buying something because somebody said, oh, you need to purchase this. You need to buy this. You ought to consider this. You ought to give in to this. Only to find that it was rather disappointing. It wasn't what you thought. Did you ever go buy an ice cream cone thinking, I'm going to walk out of there with this big ice cream cone. You pay $3, and there's just a little scoop there, and it's like, is this the kitty sampler? And you're like, oh, no, but it's the famous whatever ice cream. It's like, oh, okay. So you just like, every lick is special. There's 50 cents, right? Or do you ever order a burger, at a, you know, and you look at the, the, the picture on the screen, it's like, look at that burger. And then you open it up and it's like all smashed down and, you know, a little piece of lettuce is hanging off the side and the burger's about that big. You're like, 
you're looking at the picture, that's nothing like, nothing like it at all. And you just sort of feel like ripped off, don't you? Does it make sense why Jesus walks up to this tree that should be bearing, because it's got leaves, should be bearing figs, but there's no figs on there. There's no fruit on there. And he walks up there and he's like, I was expecting figs and there's no, may you never have fruit again. And he cursed the tree. I think that's sort of weird, isn't it? You know, and as I was studying this, I was reading one author noted in all the works of the ministry of Jesus, this is the only destructive miracle recorded. It's like, I might have to read through this and check that out to make sure. Because we know in the Old Testament, it's filled with miracles of destruction, right? And there's plagues and all kinds of things that God brought. There's always something scary, right? But when Jesus did a miracle, it was typically to heal, to fix, not to curse, right? So if this is one of the few, if only, miracles where Jesus cursed something, do you think we should pay attention to it? Probably. Probably. I think the important lesson here and what we start to understand is God doesn't approve when there's profession without reality, when there's talk without walk. When we say one thing and do another, I think God looks down on that. So the question we have to ask ourselves, is there evidence of our faith? That's the question I wanted to pose to you today, because like I said, we're, we're into 60 days of this 90 days of, man, I, wanna, I really want to work on being discipled. I really, I really want to grow more. Okay, so let me ask you this. In the last 60 days, have you seen any, any change in you spiritually? Have you noticed anything different in you? If you haven't, be patient. Let's keep working at it. If you have, yay God. But like any kid that goes into the weight room and sits there and they start curling the weights, you know, and they start bench pressing. Then they walk up to where the big mirror is and they turn sideways like, yeah. You know, and they're trying to see their arms sort of flex or bulge or something. Why? Because they want to know if they're growing. They want to know if it's working. Is this paying off? So as you're growing in your faith and you are living it out in your works, as that comes together, are you seeing any evidence? Is there any fruit in your life? Let's read on. Verse 15. When he arrived back in Jerusalem... Jesus entered the temple. He began to drive out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. And when the leading priests and teachers of the religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning on how to kill him. They were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree curse, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus said to the tree on the previous day, and he said, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Okay, seriously, was Jesus in a bad mood that day or what? Dumb tree. Get these tables out of here. You know, if you would have maybe titled this sermon, it could have been Jesus woke up on the wrong side of the bed, you know, or Jesus in a bad attitude. I don't know. It could have been something like that, right? Because he, he curses that tree, and then they walk into town. They go into the temple. Huge temple. First, there's the outer court with the court of the Gentiles. That's where people, if you weren't a Jew, that's where you get to worship. 
But a little bit further in is then where the Jews and the women and the Jews and so forth and so on. But Jesus walks into where the Gentiles should be worshiping, and it's a big market. See, if you're coming in to, for, uh, for this uh, Passover, if you're coming in, you're supposed to bring in a sacrifice. So everybody's bringing in their lambs or bringing in their sacrifices, and it's supposed to be like a lamb without a blemish, a perfect lamb, you know? So you have people bringing in their animals, but what happens is there's somebody who checks the sacrifices. Oh, mm, this one's got a mark on it, so you can't use that animal as a sacrifice. You're going to have to buy one of our animals. Oh, that one's got a little limp to it. Not very acceptable to God, so you better get a better animal. We happen to have some right here. So typically what happened was this little marketeering thing came on where they would sort of rob people of what they were doing and coming to worship God. Your sacrifice isn't good enough. You're going to have to purchase one from us. Oh, and by the way, yeah, the sheep now that you're in here at the temple, they're going to cost a lot more than if you would have bought them out there. Uh, so pay up. So they'd pay up. And then they had to pay a temple tax. But the temple tax was in a currency of the temple, and if you didn't have that, well, then you had to exchange coins for the right currency. Oh, and there's a tax for that as well they were making it really hard to worship God. They were making money off of worshiping God. There was no worship of God going on. It was worshiping of the money, worshiping of, of their uh, opportunity to profit. And that really ticked off Jesus. He came in and he saw what was going on and right away he just started tossing things, upsetting the tables. He called it he said it was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations instead of become a den of thieves. You know, it seems like I said in this chapter, we find Jesus having a not-so-happy day. And like I said, we could have maybe entitled it something, but we need to remember here that Jesus had been doing active ministry for the past three years. He's been with his disciples now three years, teaching, preaching, doing all these miracles. He just entered Jerusalem. And as he came into the road into Jerusalem, he wept over the city, looking around saying, there's a lot of people here that don't believe. Remember what his mission was? To seek and save those who are lost, right? So he saw people not just as people to talk to, but people to save. And he knew a lot of people didn't want to get saved. And that upset him. He predicted his death, and he was sent by the disbelief of people. And then he comes by this fig tree. No figs. Mm, curse that tree. Walks into the temple. People are not worshiping God. You know what he saw in the temple? Leaves with no fruit. Religious leaders, religious people with no fruit. Oh, they were wearing the garb to come into the temple. They had the sacrifices to come into the temple, just like the leaves on the tree. But they had no fruit. They had no belief in the God of the universe. So when Jesus come in, came in to the temple and saw no fruit, you want to know why he's upset? For three years, he'd been pouring to all these people. No fruit on that tree. It's very uh, illustrative of what you're about ready to see, disciples. See, there's going to be judgment on that tree for no fruit. Follow me now. And they go into the temple. No fruit. As Jesus walked out and as they left the next day, the disciples came by that tree again and they said, Hey, Jesus, look, there's that tree again. And it died from the roots up. Yep, because that's where it starts, in the roots of things, in the hearts. 
you know, when Jesus enters that temple and he saw no evidence of faith, we have to think about this. What do we call in the New Testament now the temple? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul said this as he was addressing the church in Corinth. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. Paul said, guess what? When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, if you're in here this morning, you've confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, God says, I will be Lord of your life. He comes into our life. God's Spirit now dwells us. This is now His temple. This is why as Christians we take care of the temple. Okay? We don't worship our bodies. We take care of it. We realize that God is working in us emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, physically. We've got to take care of all those arenas. Okay? And Jesus entered the temple and saw no evidence. We wonder sometimes when Jesus' spirit is in us, do you think he's finding evidence? Do you think he's finding fruit in our lives? And if we truly we love him and trust him, we have to allow Jesus to come into our life and kick over some, temp, uh, some table sometime and sort of clean things up and say, no, 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 no. That's not how you live for me. You might talk a good talk about believing in Jesus Christ, but are you walking it out? Let's get some cleaning going on in here. Let me ask you this. Is there evidence in your life of God at work? Does your family know what you believe? Do your coworkers know what you believe? Do the people in this church know what you believe in your faith? I've got to ask you that. Because two times now, somebody's passed away. Okay? I see Sally and her family here this morning. Good to see you all. And I know two weeks ago, this was a very rough time for you. The question everybody wanted to know, where's Michaela's faith? Okay? Then this past week, uh, Swanton in Swanton, a 42-year-old man, great physical health, uh, Bill Urban, English teacher, wrestling coach, passed away. Out working by his pond, just went over. I had a phone call last night saying, Do you worked with Bill, do you know what his faith was like? Did he believe in Jesus Christ? Why is it that we have to ask, or people have to ask about our faith? Shouldn't it be evident? Shouldn't people know, not by the fact that you showed up, but by the way you live for Jesus. Because if you live for Jesus and you profess with your mouth that you believe in Jesus Christ, I mean, the, the five that got baptized last week, right? Oh, they made a public proclamation to all of us last week. Hey, I believe in Jesus Christ. I've placed my faith and I've surrendered. And as they were baptized, the symbolization of what they did was awesome. Do people know that you're a Christian? Do they see the evidence or do they just see a tree with a lot of leaves and no fruit? Or do they walk into a temple and they just see a bunch of commotion? Hey, we're here and we're doing stuff. Or is there true worship going on? Galatians 5, 23 says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you have those kind of fruits? flowing out of you? If not, I'm going to encourage you this morning to get connected to the King of Kings. 
It says in John 15, 5 to 8, Yes, I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Without Jesus, we can't do it. We can, we can work really hard. Just can't do it. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers, just like that fig tree. Such branches are gathered up into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, my words remain in you. You may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Look at verse 8. When you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. As we're working through this being a disciple, we've got to stop and pause and say, Hey, are you producing fruit? Because when you produce much fruit, you're truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. Those are the words of Jesus himself. You're truly my disciple when you produce fruit. When you express love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, when you're expressing all those things, guess what? You're expressing your disciple-type attitude with Jesus. And that is pretty incredible. Are you connected? Are you abiding in Christ? Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. Would you please stand, worship team, go ahead and come forward. I want to encourage you that as we continue this discipleship study, we pause every now and then and say, okay, am I really doing well? This week, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, that's the book, that's the chapter we're reading together. How are you doing in prayer time? Are you asking the tough questions? Maybe you need to get bold and say, you know what, I'm going to grab a couple more of these books, I'll grab one of these paradise books, grab one of these one thing you can't do in heaven books, and uh, I'm just going to look for somebody to start a conversation. We'll get it going again. Oh, just because we got all fired up one Sunday, two Sundays, because we had a guest speaker here, doesn't mean we stop, right? There's a reminder that this is how we live out our faith. We produce fruit because we are children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being an awesome and mighty God. Thank you that we could come here today to worship you in song and in truth. I thank you, Lord, for the reminder of your scripture that we need to be producing fruit. It's more than just walk around saying we're a Christian. It's more than just walk around and doing good things. We are proclaiming that we believe in you. So we're going to talk about you. Because we have placed our faith in you, because we love you, we're going to obey you. And when we obey you, we're living out the commands in your word. And when all that happens, fruit is produced. And it's not for our glory, it's for yours. It's not what we get out of it, it's what we give to others. It's a sacrifice at times. And that's okay, because we know what happened to those who first followed you. And they would do it over again if they could, because it was all about following you. So Lord, help us to follow you this week in word and in walk. And how we proclaim you and how we live for you. Help us to be bold this week again, Lord. Thank you so much for this church. I thank you that we have brothers and sisters who encourage each other because we can't do this alone. In thy name we pray, amen.